Welcome to Orange Crest Community Church and OCCathome.com. We are so glad you're here. At OCC, our mission is to invite people to take their next steps with Jesus. And so we pray that through our time together, you're encouraged and challenged to move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Hey everyone, my name is Josh Tellerose. I'm the senior pastor here at OCC. And it's a joy to share with you all today. And last week we wrapped up some things for our church. We wrapped up meeting outside at another local church. We met for over nine months outside in the elements. And now I want to talk about the next chapter of our church. And I want to speak today out of the book of Nehemiah. It's an Old Testament book. And I want to do somewhat of a flyover of this book in the Bible. We'll, we'll actually take some more time later on at a different point to really walk more slowly through it. It's very, very relevant uh, to a number of things that we're walking through in our church in particular. But I think there are some things related to uh, this actual season and the next chapter that we're heading into. Now, Nehemiah, just to give you some background on who he was, Nehemiah was among a group of people who had been taken from Judah, the land of Judah, into captivity into a foreign land. And so you can see this map right here that shows you the distance from the Holy Land, and you see Israel, Judah, uh, the capital city of Jerusalem there, and then also all the way over to Babylon. You see Babylon on the opposite side of the map there, and it's quite a distance. Now, the Jews had been taken captive and really exiled into a foreign land. So, Nehemiah was probably his great-grandparents who were initially sent into exile years before, and he had been raised in the foreign land of Babylon. He actually rose to a very prominent position. His role was to be the cupbearer to the king. The cupbearer is the poison checker. Uh, the king, before he would be given something to drink, wine to drink, for example, uh, a cupbearer would serve the king in the palace and make sure that uh, no one was trying to sabotage the king and kill the king. And so the cupbearer would check that for poison and make sure that it was safe to drink. And so that's Nehemiah's role. Let's pick it up, Nehemiah chapter 1. And then I'm going to make some connections to our life here and now in our culture and in our church. So Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, it reads, The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, during the month of Kislev in the 20th year when I was in the fortress city of Susa. So that's in the land of Babylon. And he says, Hanani, one of my brothers, arrived with men from Judah, and I questioned them about Jerusalem and the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile. So his brother and a group of, of Jewish men had traveled from Susa to Jerusalem to check out the land of Judah and to take a look at things, the condition. Now, verse 3, it says, They said to me, The remnant in the province who survived the exile are in great trouble and disgrace. A lot of people actually were allowed to return after being exiled to Babylon, allowed to return and try to rebuild their lives, but... Things were really uh, in ruin there in Jerusalem. So Hanani reports that Jerusalem's wall had been broken down. Still in verse 3, and its gates have been burned. City walls uh, basically fortified, helped fortify a town, a capital city like Jerusalem. The gates, again, that would help fortify. It would help keep invaders out. It was the security just think about how important home security is in our days. Uh, security around 
uh, capital city is very important for the stability of a nation, of a country, of a people. And so Nehemiah, his brother, is bringing a report back to Nehemiah on the situation from Jerusalem. And essentially he says it's broken down. It's all sorts of damage. The gates have been burned up. Uh, the city's in ruins. Even though people are back there, everyone is really left vulnerable and struggling. And Nehemiah, he realized all of this damage meant something. And so he is he's really at a point where he is faced with a dilemma. What do I do with this news I've received? And oftentimes the starting point whenever we're faced with damage and really sensing an action is required. Maybe we need to rebuild something that has been broken down. The first starting point really is to acknowledge the damage. And so the situation is grim. And in many ways, very similar to reports on churches across our country that are really not positive. As a pastor, I get emailed to me or articles sent to me uh, about the condition of the church in the United States. And it's the situation is similarly grim as what Han and I was reporting to his brother Nehemiah. For example, one article that I read recently gave four realities for almost every church coming out of COVID. And so here they are. Number one, during COVID, your church lost some families. And this was addressed to pastors, but, and that's true. For some people, the loss was because of health concerns. Uh, some people moved away, maybe to be closer to family. Maybe some other people moved for some unknown reasons, but people officially uh, left the church. They, you know, the church lost some families. Second, during COVID, some families had drifted away in terms of commitment, in terms of, of involvement in church life. And so it could have been that there have been people who had looser connections to churches and maybe even those connections were loose before COVID hit. And then after COVID, it's been difficult for people to keep involved when you don't see others for months and months and months and even for over a year. We used to meet in the mornings, and so we scrambled to meet eventually uh, in the evenings after six months of being online. And every church that I knew was scrambling to figure out how do we pivot and go online, or how do we create outdoor services. And so in that time, some people who had maybe a looser connection to churches drifted out of churches. And so we saw that as well. We saw some people with looser connections, drift away. Um, during COVID, also another thing, a third thing, this article said that you gained many new families, but they remain largely online. Now, I wouldn't say that we grew by leaps and bounds because of online visitors, but if this is true, a lot of people, and maybe you're watching because a coworker invited you. Maybe you're watching because you saw one of our yard signs that promoted church online. And so you've been now joining our our online weekend service. Maybe you've even been interacting with people in the live chat. And one of the realities of this is it's a challenge to move from online to a live gathering and interact with people. And so this platform, we actually continue to work on this platform and, and try to improve it and evaluate it, but this is one of our realities. And then fourth reality, the article stated, is your current in-person attendance is running at about half of or less than half that it was pre-COVID. And, and this may actually be the case. We're not sure yet on this, but since it's, it's really been over 15 months since we had a live morning service. So we actually will know where things stand probably by about the end of this month 
as we now resume live gatherings this weekend at the Orange Terrace Community Center at 9 or 10.30 in the morning. We've got Kids Zone as well, but we don't know yet about this point in the article, what is the attendance going to be like, because it's been just afternoon and evening services. So, similar to Nehemiah, and him receiving this news from his brother, as a pastor, as I've read uh, a variety of articles and reports like this in the past year, I think it's pretty much been discouraging to read a lot of those articles because most of the reports about church across our country have been negative reports. It's not been positive to read a lot of these reports and articles and and studies on life in the American church. Now, when Nehemiah received this report about the condition of Jerusalem, he immediately kicked into prayer. Take a look. Chapter 1, verses 4, it says, When I read these, or when I heard these words from his brother, I sat down and I wept. It says, I mourned for a number of days, fasting and praying before the God of the heavens. See, he still believed in God, even though he was far away. Susa was 900 miles uh, journey from Jerusalem, but he hadn't lost his faith in the God that they served. He still believed in the God of Israel. He still believed uh, and, and prayed to him. And this is evidence of that. Verse 5, here's part of his prayer. Nehemiah writes, I said, Lord, the God of the heavens, the great and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant with those who love him and keep his commands, let your ears be open and your ears be attentive to hear your servant's prayer. He's saying, hear my prayer that I now pray to you day and night for your servants, the Israelites. So he, he's praying for the Israelites, the people, God's people back there in Jerusalem and really even maybe those that are exiled. He's just lifting up and he, he's lifting up all sorts of concerns. He's praying that people would repent because a lot of people through the exile period had really lost their hope and they began to abandon God's commands. They, they let go of living for God according to his ways and his laws and they were just um, doing their own thing. And so Nehemiah is actually praying for the people of God. And he just turns to God and he starts pouring out his heart. And he actually starts asking God, if you read the prayer later, you'll see he's praying for courage and power to face the king that he serves, the king of Babylon. He's going to ask the king for a massive request. And he also, you can just see in this prayer, that Nehemiah is devastated with this news about the condition of the city that he loves, the capital city of Jerusalem. Because if you can imagine, he knew the story of his ancestors who had been given that land by God and led there after captivity and just all sorts of battles. When you read about the Old Testament battles and the conquest as they took the land, well, now his ancestors had been uh, defeated in battle and dragged off and dropped in a new land. And so this was a very dark part of their history to be living through. But Nehemiah still cared so much for the Israelites and the land. He cared about life back in Jerusalem. And this was really the, their homeland. This was the promised land. And, and he's not able to shake this news. And so you see that as he's praying, that he's pretty disheartened uh, with all that's going on. And whenever we receive a discouraging report, difficult, damaging news, we actually can learn from Nehemiah's example and do what he did. Well, what did he do? He, he turned to God in prayer. So first thing is you see he acknowledges the damage. This is what we can do when we hear bad news. And then we can turn to God in prayer immediately. 
I love how it's so quick in the in the book of Nehemiah for him to for him to make that flip into prayer. Now I've I felt this sadness of our condition, of our world, of our nation, of our even our state. And then as I get even more focused in on the local realities of our city and our church, it's it's easy to sort of be overcome with sadness and grief over what has happened and what has unraveled. And now how much ground we have to sort of regain as a church and just as a uh, people of faith. Even as I consider friends and groups within the church that really are experiencing still some damage from COVID, there's a lot to recover from. And everything happened so suddenly. If you just think back to the March shutdowns, everything just shut down immediately. It was sort of like a hard um, reboot of your computer system. Uh, when your computer gets shut down and forced shut down, it doesn't have the time for all the files to slowly be stored where they're supposed to go. And so the next time you open up your computer, if you did a hard sort of reset on your system, it takes a while for the processes and for the programs to begin um, processing and, and working properly again. With a hard reboot, it, it it doesn't just automatically go through this smooth process. And I think that's a lot of what we're going to be experiencing as churches who are trying to rebuild after COVID. For all of us, whether it's thinking through what was lost personally or thinking through what we've experienced organizationally, there is this process of coming out of this that is not just immediate. It's not just quick for us to regroup after all this. I I think about what life was like pre-COVID, and and there's just all sorts of changes uh, that I I know will uh, come from this period of time in how we do church even. Now, I'm also concerned that some people may not come back, not just because of of health concerns, but I'm concerned that for those who concluded that, hey, I I made it through COVID and I I must be invincible. I kept my job, I kept my health, and I'm sure some people felt that way. Kept my job, kept my health, everything seemed fine, and and I don't know if I really need God. And and I'm concerned that there are people that would think those thoughts or express those statements. Like, I, I bet I could get by without God or without church or without this fellowship that we can experience in church family. Well, with all of these different things, what do you think Nehemiah did? I, I know for myself, as I assess the damage of our world, you know, thoughts and action steps come to my mind. Well, for Nehemiah, when he heard this news, I want you to see what he did. Take a look at chapter 2. During the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, that's the king of Babylon, when wine was set before him, I took the wine. Remember, he's the cupbearer cup to the king of Babylon. I took the wine, I gave it to the king. i I'd never been sad before in his presence. So the king said to me, Why are you sad when you're not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. You see, the king can see that Nehemiah is distraught in his face. He says, I was overwhelmed with fear, and I replied to the king. He's thinking, should I be honest? Should I tell the king what has happened back at home? Should I tell them what's really on my heart? So he replies to the king, May the king live forever. Why should I not be sad? When the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. All of my ancestors' graves and bodies are there. Here I am in Babylon. Why shouldn't I be discouraged? Not only that, but everything is is currently still in ruins. This country that means so much to me and my people is just devastated. Then the king asked me, what is your request? How? 
How interesting. The king of Babylon would take notice of this cupbearer, this man, Nehemiah, and his own concerns. And so it says, I prayed to the God of the heavens, and I answered the king. It's like he shot up a prayer and said, God, give me courage to ask for what I think is needed here. And here's what he prays. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor with you, send me to Judah and to the city where my ancestors are buried so that I may rebuild it. That's a a bold request. (laughs) Would you send me to go and rebuild the walls around, the gates that fortify our city? Look at at verse 6. The king with the queen seated beside him asked me, How long will your journey take and when will you return? So I gave him a definite time and it pleased the king to send me. This is an amazing providential act of God that God would move the heart of the king of Babylon to give Nehemiah, the cupbearer, the permission to travel, to stir the hearts of his his countrymen to rebuild Jerusalem and the wall and the gates. Now, he is sad. Again, he's sad in the king's presence, but he's sad for a noble purpose. He's not just depressed and overwhelmed. He's he he there's there's something greater on his mind. This is very different from us being sad for personal or empty reasons where we don't get what we want. This was huge for him. This was national concern for Nehemiah. He cared about the future of his people. He was so burdened. This actually, as I read through the book of Nehemiah, and I, I understand what he's concerned about. It's very similar to what some of us feel when we're heavy, when there's a heavy burden on our heart for some greater cause that is going unnoticed. This reminds me of Paul in the New Testament when he described the burden that he carried for his his life mission of spreading the, the message of Jesus, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that he came to save sinners. And Paul carried this burden, and he found himself constantly under deep pressure, extreme pressure, and opposition. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8, of Paul, he wrote, he was troubled on every side, yet he was not distressed. You see, he was burdened, but he wasn't overcome by that by that pressure. And I, and I feel like Nehemiah, his expression is, He's he's sad, but he's not unraveled. He actually, he he went into that uh, to be in the presence of the king with a purpose to ask a bold request. And God granted Nehemiah the ability to actually leave his post there and to head to Jerusalem to rebuild the city. And so Nehemiah heads off. He heads off, which is about a three-month journey to travel the 900 miles from Susa in Babylon all the way back to Judah, the capital city of Jerusalem. And as you read the story, you're not going to look at this, but he actually requests that the king offer him letters or send him with letters for to provide for safe passage as he traveled from those 900 miles because he would be bordering different countries. And so he asked if the king of Babylon would give him a letter just to say, I'm on official business from the king of Babylon and uh, don't harm me. And so the king actually sends him with a group of people and letters for his own protection. Nehemiah also asked the king, you can check this out as you read it for yourself, he asked the king for a letter to to seek resources uh, in order to rebuild back in Jerusalem. And so the king actually, again, grants the request and says, sure, you can have resources from another king, and they'll open up their storehouse in order to provide 
all the resources you need to do this construction effort. What an amazing provision. Now, God had put that into Nehemiah's heart. So, let's fast forward a little bit. Chapter 2, verse 11. Nehemiah, after months of travel, arrives there in Jerusalem, and he conducts a thorough investigation. Let's pick it up in verse 11. It says, after I arrived in Jerusalem and had been there three days, I got up at night. So he went out during the middle of the night. He took a few men with It says, I took a few men with me. I didn't tell anyone what God had laid on my heart to do for Jerusalem. He's just scoping things out. It says, the only animal I took was the one I was riding. I went out at night through the valley gate towards the serpent's well and the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that had been broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. He's he's checking all, all these significant gates, and these are all labeled by these terms that he's using. These are familiar gates. Verse 14, I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but farther down it became too narrow for my animal to, to go through. So I went up at night by way of the valley, and I inspected the wall. Then heading back, I entered through the valley gate, and I returned. So he just walks around. First he rides around, then it's too narrow at some point. So he leaves his, his animal, and he just on foot starts walking, inspecting very carefully. Now what's he doing? He's assessing all of the damages that had gone on through uh, the the battles that had occurred there in the city of Jerusalem when they were invaded. And this is what, in many ways, we need to do whenever we're experiencing a lot of difficulty and damage. We have to assess the situation and take note of the specifics that have been uh, torn down or, or or destroyed even. And in our own lives, we, we kind of have to do this right now. We're in a season of rebuilding as a country, as a church community, maybe as friends. We've got to do our own uh, assessment of the situation. I'd encourage you to think through what damage do you see around you in your life, in your relationships, on your block, in your community, in in your relationships even within our church. You know, as a staff, we've done this many times through the year. We'll sort of stop and we'll evaluate how are people doing? How are families doing? How are individuals doing? How is so-and-so doing? Who, has anyone heard from this guy or that gal? Because a lot has occurred and we need to assess the situation and we want to ask this over and over. And as best as I can tell, there's actually a lot of damage. Our church has not unraveled. We're very grateful. In fact, I could give a message, a really positive message on all that has, all the good that has come in this season. But we can't ignore the damage that we can identify. Damage to family life, uh, meaning there's some, there's some pressure on families through this whole experience. Marriages, a lot of pressure. Marriages. Friendships, there's damaged friendships through the COVID period. There's trust that has been damaged. There's goodwill that will has been damaged and will need to now be restored. There's momentum lost uh, through this period of time. So it's important for all of us to consider all of the damage before we actually move forward. Otherwise, you just start going without much of a plan. So in Nehemiah's case, this is what he's doing. He reports all of his damages, all the damage he saw, to everyone that's still living there. And this becomes a key turning point. Let's start at verse 16. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, for I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the rest of those who would be doing the work. So I said to them, you see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned. Come. Now this word, this is the challenge. He's saying, come. This is a challenge, and it's also an invitation. Let's rebuild Jerusalem's wall. 
so that we will no longer be a disgrace. It says, I told them how the gracious hand of my God had been on me and what the king had said to me. He told them about his, his interactions with the king and the queen and what God had done to change the king's heart and actually persuade the king to provide safe passage and resources. And then here's how they reply. It says, they said, and this is the turning point statement, let's start rebuilding. And their hands were strengthened to do this good work. So Nehemiah, he was just one man, but God stirred the hearts of many right then and there who decided to do something about the situation in their land. Essentially, they said, look, let's link hands and let's do this together. We're all in. You don't have to go at this alone. Their hearts were stirred. God had God had united their hearts for this purpose of rebuilding. And so part of our next chapter is that we need people who will commit to rebuild. And I'm specifically thinking in terms of our church community, church life. We're, we're at a key turning point moment as a church. And you can be one of those factors. Just like the people there in Jerusalem were that. You know, right now, coming out of the COVID season, our community needs churches who will reach back out to the community. We want to be one of those key churches who is uh, reaching and bringing hope and life and fellowship and community to our city. I think we're entering a season of rebuilding at OCC. This can't be done by just one man or one woman or just our staff. We need the church to rise up. We need a committed group of people. And there are some areas that I want to highlight to answer the question of how can we rebuild? Like, what needs to be rebuilt? So, there's some areas. The first is our focus. You know, vision leaks. Vision may need to be recast. We had cast a really strong vision. Now it's likely that we need to recast that vision. Because before COVID hit, we had just purchased property. And now after 15 months, our mission, our vision, our values, it's crucial that we express this again and that we align ourselves and get our focus moving again. The second thing is our teams. This year and even next year may feel like rebuilding years, sort of like a a high school sports team who graduates out all their seniors. Sort of like it's going to take us a while as we're shaking off the cobwebs and looking around seeing who's really with us now. We're entering a new season of opportunity. We have a wide variety of volunteer opportunities, and we would invite you to let us know that you want to help us rebuild in this season. You might be thinking, what can I do? I'm I'm watching this online, and what role can I play? Well, reach out to us. Let us know. You can let us know on your connection card. You can reach out to us by email. We would love to get you involved in the ministry of OCC. A third area that needs rebuilding is relationships. I want to encourage you to get around tables and to relate to other people. You know, our culture as a church was built on organic life-to-life relating, interacting, face-to-face. A lot of a lot of relating occurs around a table where you're sharing a meal together, where you're enjoying food or coffee, playing board games, or just visiting and chatting. I want to encourage you to move beyond this online platform even and to get around tables, build relationships, begin relating again personally to others. It might have been months and months since you've done this, but I want to encourage you to step out in relationships and help with the rebuilding effort. And the fourth area is unity. You know, politics, racial tension, media, science. You pick the issue and it's possible that you have different thoughts than others even in your own family. With all that could divide us, it's critical that we actually unite now around what we have in common. 
You know, the word community, is, it's a combination of two words, unity and common. And over the next month, we're going to be unpacking the idea of community in a new message series to really help us to rebuild together. So you might be wondering, what, what happened to Nehemiah? What happened to this rebuilding effort? Well, immediately they got after it. Everyone pitched in, started repairing the damages to the walls, to the gates that were closest to where they lived. Everyone took responsibility for this rebuilding effort. I, I love this, this book. I love the, the inspiring story that is told here where all of these people didn't look at this situation and think, oh, someone else will take care of it. Well, Nehemiah came and brought the challenge and God stirred their hearts to say, we're in this. We, we have a role to play in this. So here's what happened in, in their story. They actually had to build and battle simultaneously. This rebuilding effort was a dangerous one. They had all sorts of enemies that were still right there in their land or right outside the walls taunting them, saying, you'll never finish this work. <laughs> they, people were, were trying to intimidate them. People were trying to threaten them. Others from the area were trying to rally people to attack them. And so the people of Israel had to, it says they had a, a hammer in one hand and they had an all-night watch crew, uh, but they had a hammer in one hand and they had a sword in the other hand. And as the wall was being rebuilt, they were just watchful of attacks and they were aware of their vulnerability. And for me, these scenes in the Bible remind me to just anticipate opposition. Personally, I have to anticipate opposition and organizationally. So will you consider how you actually may need to prepare for opposition? You know, building God's kingdom for decades, if you set your life to, to live for God and to help advance God's ways in the world, then you're going to face opposition. And if you choose to join God in his effort to renew communities, renew families, rebuild, you're going to have to stay focused amidst a huge battle. Because there's all sorts of distractions. There's all sorts of opposition that you're going to face as well if you are part of God's team to renew culture. If you follow Christ, what that means is you actually have a very real enemy. Ephesians chapter 6, one of the New Testament letters in chapter 6, Paul writes to a group of people uh, in the city of Ephesus, and this is modern-day Turkey, and he reminds that group of people not to turn on each other when they're in conflict. Because a lot of times we, we have opposition, we clash with people relationally, but Paul says, look, we have a common enemy. He is not flesh and blood. Satan and his legion of, of spirits, demons, they are out to intimidate us, they're out to distract us, they're out to lure us away from counting with our lives for God's kingdom. And we have to be aware of that opposition. Just as the people in Nehemiah's time were facing opposition, we still face opposition as we set out to rebuild and renew culture. Eventually, this effort that Nehemiah led in in uh, in Jerusalem, this rebuilding effort, eventually it was completed in Jerusalem. So chapter 6, verses 15 and 16, it actually reads this. The wall was completed in 52 days. On the 25th day of the month of Elul, when all our enemies heard this, all the surrounding nations were intimidated and lost their confidence, for they realized that this task had been accomplished by our God. Now, this is amazing. This rebuilding effort, it actually it sent a strong message to the communities around, the nations around, the people around, that there's a God who means business and who 
works and who is at work and who is acting. And he's working through people. And this stirred up people. Now, this whole unified group was able to accomplish something amazing. God actually worked through them, much like an Amish barn raising. Here's a picture of an Amish barn raising. And I recently got to, to visit the Amish in Pennsylvania this summer. We went on a family trip, and, and it was amazing to consider the, these giant barns that they raised with their community, with their, uh, their fellow Amish. They, they would work together on this is just a picture of unity. You know, in, 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 in a lot of ways, what we see here with the story of Nehemiah, this was the barn-raising effort of their day, except it was a wall-building effort where everybody uh, had a part to play in this journey. So once the effort was completed, the wall was rebuilt, the people gathered. And I want to read a little bit out of that passage. It's Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 10. It says, When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people gathered together at the square in front of the water gate. Things have been rebuilt now. They asked the scribe Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had given Israel. On the first day of the seventh month, the priest Ezra brought before brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding. So the priest is going to read from the scripture. It had been a long time since this had occurred. So verse 3, while he was facing the square in front of the water gate, he read out of it from daybreak until noon before the men, the women, and those who could understand. All the people listened attentively to the book of the law. And the scribe Ezra stood on a high platform made for this purpose. So he gets up on a tall platform, this priest named Ezra, and he just starts reading from the law. And in verse 5, Ezra opened the book in full view of all the people since he was elevated above everyone. As he opened it, all the people stood up. You see, this was a special opportunity. And so they gave God's word the honor it deserved by standing in honor of it. Verse 6, Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and with their hands uplifted, all the people said, Amen. Amen. This word, Amen, you're familiar with it if you've, if you've heard the end of a prayer. Amen. You say it at the end of a prayer. It means firm. It's a Hebrew word. It means firm or let it be established. So at the end of a prayer, as, at, at the end of this uh, reading, they, they embrace it, said, let this be established. We want this law. We want God to govern us. And they, it says that they knelt, they knelt low and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. First they got up on their feet and then they bow in worship. And then in, in, in verse 7, a group of Levites, this was the clan of people who carried out many of the temple duties, including the teaching duty. It says they explained the law to the people as they stood in their places. They read out of the book of the law of God, translating and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was read. Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to all of them, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people were weeping as they heard the words of the law. You see, as they heard God's word being taught and, and explained, it touched their emotions. You see, they, they, had, they had all linked hands in the rebuilding effort after many years of struggle and after much devastation and ruin. And some of them just began to weep. They were overcome in their emotions. There was likely a fair amount of conviction also. And so some of that may have just been remorse over 
ignoring God's commands and, and laws. And so there's this repentance and this brokenness that sort of swept across the whole group. And then in verse 10, it reads this. Then he said to them, go and eat what is rich, drink what is sweet. Essentially, he's saying, treat this day like a sacred day, like a festival day. You see, the Jews celebrated these big feast days. And he said, treat this like one of those days. And then he says, and send portions to those who have nothing prepared since today is holy to our Lord. This is a sacred day. Do not grieve because the joy of the Lord is your strength. You see, Nehemiah convinced the people to stop mourning and to start rejoicing, to start celebrating. You see, praise is the perfect response to what occurred right there. God carried those people through and continued to look after them. He provided for them and they had every reason to celebrate now. And this part of the story reminds us that when we're rebuilding after damage, even damage from COVID, damage from being away from our morning ritual and gathering, damage from uh, just relational damage, uh, marriage damage, friendship damage, uh, damage from just being out of our routines. Whenever we're in the middle of all that, this part of the story reminds us to rejoice in God's truth. You see, it would be easy to wait until everything is all restored. It would be easy to just say, well, let's let somebody else fix it, and then we'll re-engage and start rejoicing and, and pull our hearts back in. No. So often, the work is still in progress. That's right when God calls us to rejoice and to do that continually. Charles Spurgeon, an English Baptist preacher and pastor from the late 1800s, he said this about rejoicing. He's quoted here, Praise is the beauty of a Christian. What wings are to a bird, what fruit is to the tree, what the rose is to the thorn, that is praise to a child of God. You know, it's true. We are at our best when we're praising God. When we, whenever we hold back praise, whenever we drop our rituals of worship and praise, of singing, of rejoicing, we dry up. We fail to live the life that God made us to live. There is so much to be celebrated in our lives and certainly in our church. We, we have all sorts of positive things to report, to just lift our hands in praise and thank God for. For example, even just be praying for us as a church and praising God for what he has done. He's really moved some things. We're in the home stretch now of securing the major step of securing our conditional use permit for our major development process for the purchase, purchase of property that we recently made. We have two public hearing dates coming that you can be praying for, July 8th and July 22nd. We greatly appreciate your prayers, but also just praise God for what he's done. If you'd like to learn anything more about our ministry, about our efforts for advancing and into the future, then please check out our website. And I hope this has been helpful as you sort of think through what does the process look like in life when something has been damaged and when it's time to rebuild. A very, very helpful story instruction we see from the book of Nehemiah. There's a lot more in the book of Nehemiah. I invite you to check out all the chapters and read it for yourself. Uh, but let's wrap up with considering a few next steps. The first one is this. I want to encourage you to spend time in prayer this week and be specific about what that area that needs to be re rebuilt is. Start praying. Just as Nehemiah prayed specifically for resources and courage to face the king, what is it that you think needs to be, uh, that you need to bring to God right now? Second, commit to rebuild in, in your own life. And specifically, what, what area has God put on your heart that needs rebuilding? 
And then a third next step is to commit to rebuild with us, with OCC, by joining a team. We would love to see you link arms with others to help move the ministry forward. There are all sorts of ways where you could do that. And so I invite you to, to let us know, communicate with us that you'd like to be a part of our ministry. And so thanks for joining us. Let's pray and we'll wrap things up. Father, thank you for all the folks who are watching this right now. Thank you for the circumstances in our lives that you use, Lord, to challenge our growth. This hasn't been an uh, easy time uh, of life to live through. This has been quite difficult for a number of reasons, and both personal reasons and just for us as a group. It's been very, very challenging. But Father, I thank you that you lead us through difficulty in order to draw us closer to you so that we could be part of joining you in accomplishing greater purposes than, than we could ever create. Father, we, uh, we ask, Lord, that you stir our hearts to be a part of the rebuilding effort, Lord, after COVID. I pray that our church community would expand, would grow, would reach out. Uh, I pray for those that are watching that might be on the fence of uh, moving from maybe an anonymous viewer to an engaged part of our church community. Lord, would you please nudge folks uh, and lead them to, to make steps of involvement with us. We thank you, Lord, for the many people that have played a, a significant role in, in helping to carry the, 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 the ministry forward. We thank you for the many that have decided to volunteer through the last 15 months and really helping us as we've had to change forms and shapes and adjust to the, to the circumstances. Lord, we thank you that you pray you'd bless all those that pitched in to help. And Father, thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. We pray that we would be people who would rejoice as we have the opportunity to celebrate all that you're doing. And so, Lord, help us to be uh, full of praise even now. We pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We pray you were encouraged by the message and equipped to take your next step with Jesus. Visit us online at occathome.com to learn more about how to connect with us. And join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast. Have a great day.